You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel here with Joel Conan and Dennis Dick. Good to be back. Uh, busy show today, folks. Uh, Warren Buffett has finally made a move. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about China overnight. China is just insane this morning. Tesla, uh, also uh, crazy. Tesla just can't stop won't stop uh uber finally made their deal they've been trying to make they bought postmates or they're reportedly going to buy postmates so we'll talk about that uh our guest is sean emery he is the founder and cio of avery company he would join the show at 8 35. Uh, i think joel just had to step away for a second uh to check his blood sugar he may be back he may not but um joel's around if not uh at his desk at this very moment uh i think he's just stepped away so i'll bring dennis on now dennis first of all how was your long holiday week? I'm here. I'm oh, here. Oh, Joel's here. Okay, good. I'm here. I am ready to go. Rip roaring. Rip roaring market here. We are up 38 and a quarter handles at 31.67 and a quarter. Pre-market high, 72.75. Your actual low was made in the overnight session. That would be the Thursday overnight session at 05.75. Uh, let's see here. We got a daily high hit 77.75. That's five bucks above the pre-market high. But hey, what the heck? Let's talk about 3,200. You have crude in the red by four cents at 40.60. Gold just cannot clear 1,800. You want to talk about resistance? You got it there at 1,800. 
That's down to buck sixty and seventeen eighty eight forty. Silver going the opposite way in a big way, up eighteen point eight cents at eighteen fifty one and a half. And Bitcoin over nine thousand here, nine thousand two hundred and eighty up. That's up two hundred and twenty dollars. Uh, Triple D, how was? Well, even though it wasn't a holiday for you, how was the long weekend? Well, it was because I took Friday off and. It was good. A long time, though. Like, when you get away from the markets for three days, you kind of feel like the itch starts coming back there Saturday night. I'm like, okay, what are the S&Ps doing? It's all, oh, it's not Sunday night. It's Saturday night. So, you know, obviously, we start looking at the futures at 6 o'clock on the Sunday. So, I was itching here to get back into the market for the last day. But, no, it was good. Did some boating and uh, kicking around with the kids. So, fun. How, how was your long weekend? Got the best news, the breaking news. And I don't know if they put this in Benzinga Pro. What, what do you got? What's that? Well, first of all, pool, Joel, pool turn, opened. Turn, turn, your, turn your camera oh. so we can see you. I'm having right, little problems with the camera this morning. I'll get it. I got okay. to reboot it. All right. Um, pool's open. Swam 2,000 meters three three days in a row, and I gave uh, my nephews uh, some swim lessons. So I couldn't be happier. Back back in the water. How's but, the social distancing work in the pool? Yeah, how's that Social work? distancing work in the pool? Do they have like so many people can go in, or is everybody just uh, they, in there? Yeah, and there's it's only a, free a few people in the pool. My my brother-in-law doesn't. Um, it's only like five, six people over at a time, so the pool's not crowded. Not like some of the pictures you saw in Michigan of uh, people out at the lake. But I saw, um, I saw those pictures. It was not crowded where I was, but I saw some pics. It looked pretty crowded at some places in Michigan. So there's places crowded. You know, at, at my cottage here too. The beaches are just packed right now. So. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Hot out, it's 90 degrees, you're going to go swimming, and people say, I'll take my chances with the virus because it's hot, we're in the outdoors, and I think we'll be fine. So you know, we, we know what's happening. Yeah, and just as far as cases, I mean, in the U.S. at least, uh, almost 90,000 new cases over the weekend, but not that many deaths, which is good to see. Um, and not, it didn't grow um, as much as it had been growing. We were like, I mean, it still sounds crazy when you're saying there's 50,000 new cases, you know, both days. And maybe it's a lack of reporting over a holiday weekend. I'm not sure. But the exponential growth is, is starting to flatten a little bit there. So I don't know. If, we'll see what comes this week. But yeah. So many catalysts for this market that just continues to defy gravity in every sense of the word. You've got the catalyst here this morning is China. Um, this is one of the biggest moves in FXI I've seen in years. Uh, bring it up. What happened in China? We're up 7.3% in FXI. There is no doubt that this is your driver for the entire world markets here this morning. That's the biggest move in FXI. Joel, I don't even know how to Well, I'll tell you. It, it's the biggest move in the Shanghai Composite in five years. Five years. So, biggest one-day move in five years. There we go. And we built on on Thursday's rally as well. So you gapped up Thursday, held, and then we go up another 7%. It's just a huge move. Now it's basically trading higher than it was pre-COVID. So FXI, incredible comeback here. We're back at the highs. Um, I've got a lot of emerging markets funds. I don't know, um, you know where we're going here, but what is the catalyst here this morning? I mean, the catalyst is just the Chinese government talking up their own market. They did lose in some regulations as far as margin trading is, is concerned, but um, I think I think it's one of those like self-fulfilling prophecies where the Chinese government is just talking up the fact that, hey, 
bull market, bull market's great. We're in a bull market. And then therefore they're in a bull market. So uh, there's nothing specific. I mean, uh, I mentioned the, the loosening of the margin trading regulations. That's, That's got to help. Th- that, that will help. Um, but I think it's just, they're, they're, they're doing, they're, they're doing what they do right in China and they're talking their market higher and that'll work. It work. It's working this morning up 7.33%. Don't kid yourself. The U S market does follow China when it moves like this, European markets ripping higher. You see the biggest up day in China in five years, all of your markets around the world are going to be higher because of that. There's just no doubt. Um, so big move. We're gapping up. You're buying China. Now you're late to the party because there has been lots of other opportunities and you're coming into major resistance on the FXI up between 45 and 46, but does resistance even matter anymore? When government's talking up their markets, Fed supporting the market no matter what, I mean, does anything matter? Uh, apparently not. I mean, if you, you know, if you talk about like a new catalyst and, you know, something that, you know, out of the playbook, right? We're coming into earnings season, a little, uh, little trepidation, how earnings are going to be, but, uh, this is, uh, boom, you know, just, uh, another catalyst, a catalyst over a three day weekend too, when the markets are a little bit thinner, they did have it down a little bit on Friday, but, uh, the way they opened up on Sunday night and just never looked back. So uh, you have to look, Dennis, you mentioned, I'm just looking at the monthlies here to put this in perspective. Sure. And uh, you're going back not only, you know, pre-COVID, I mean, you're going back to beginning of 2019 is the last time this index has been over $45. Uh, you may you hit 45 in May of that year, and then you muddled, you got a little pop to 45.96, uh, but a couple other months. So, between 45 and 46, there's just a lot of monthly resistance there. Can it just rip through it? Yeah, maybe. But um, it's funny. I mean, did they say anything that like, oh, the trade deal's not hurting us? Or, you know, like what is like what was different in the Chinese market and the Chinese economy today or over the weekend uh, that wasn't last week or two weeks ago? I didn't, I didn't uh, get, read all the comments, but did they say anything along those lines? I, I think it's just uh, I saw a note about uh, from from some Chinese analysts that said they expect more regulations to loosen up, and they just they expect the government to continue to support their markets, which is what they've been doing. So following the Fed's lead, the U.S. Fed's that. lead, let's support the markets. I mean, where where is money supposed to go? So that and and you know we come back to our markets, but let's just look quickly a couple stocks over trading in China. Obviously, we know some trade over here, so uh, we can get a better gauge. But you know, you look at some of these moves. Look at Baba up three point eight three percent. It's up nine bucks. Full disclosure, I do own Baba in the long term portfolio. It's one of my only. I have a lot of emerging markets funds. I don't have a lot of pure China plays. Baba is one of the only ones that I still have right now. That's making new all time highs here this morning. So here you are, Alibaba back from. Um, obviously got whacked there for the last few months and it's slowly climbed its way back to new all-time highs. Baidu's trading up significantly this morning, going to the smaller ones like IQ, Billy, B-I-L-I, up 7.3%. I mean, it's just a rally across the board here and all the Chinese names leading the charge. Uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, keep an eye on where those, you know, the pre-market highs, obviously these issues have already traded um, overseas and, you know, keep an eye and see what, you know, what they hit during the regular session, probably going to be a good volume day, but, uh, you know, and also I was just looking at, I mean, Baba did get hit, but these, like during the whole crisis and stuff, um, 
Man, this, Baba, I just one thing in particular. I know it did get down. Is how low did it get? Got down to one seventy. But it just seems for a lot of it, like when they were really peppering the market, the thing just, you know, like 190, you know, 180, 190, 180, 190. And if you look at you know, where some of these other, you know, stocks where they went compared to their all time high, it just seemed like, let's just call it there was like a sneaky buyer in there. And uh, and, and now we know why. But, uh, yep, you're saying it up uh, $8.50 at 232 times. That's right at the highs of the pre-market session. So the other, thing, the other thing to consider in China is that uh, it's there's very little international investment. Like the Chinese markets are pretty are pretty much exclusively dominated by Chinese investors. Um, and I, I saw some headlines over the weekend, or at least this morning, that uh, we we've been talking about retail sentiment in the U.S. driving stocks. It's that times ten in China. That retail sentiment is just like through the roof. Uh, search engine results for how to open a brokerage account are at all-time highs. So it's it's that same sort of retail-driven sentiment potentially in China that, that we've been seeing in the U.S. I mean, you think about and you just look at where stocks have went and where, you know, obviously different countries, markets have performed. And we've talked about yeah. the emerging markets have underperformed for a decade. Um, I think a lot to do with that is obviously the move to technology. And we know some of the best technology companies have come out of Silicon Valley and in the U.S. So that's why the U.S. has continued to outperform all other markets. Is there a catch-up trade? I've thought for the last few years it could be a catch-up trade. It's why I'm overweight emerging markets, but it hasn't happened. And, you know, we got the trade deal still to worry about. Obviously, with Trump comments that they're going to pay for their Chinese virus, he calls it. Um, so it's still a lot of things to be worried about when you look at just investing internationally, especially into China. But right now the market's worried about none of these things. Obviously um, over here, we can see how disconnected from reality we are. I mean, it's headline driven. I think there's no better poster child for that than Dominion here this morning, which we can move to now. D obviously getting some uh, money from Warren Buffett here. And the, where it traded this morning was just unbelievable to me. So Spencer, I wanna throw this to you first. Give us the terms of this Buffett deal, but it did not look good to me when I read it last night for Dominion Energy, but somebody decided it was good this morning, and you're not going to believe where this traded to. Yeah, we've been wondering what what uh, Buffett would do and when he would step in and do anything, because he's been pretty silent this entire time, but he's stepping in this morning. He's buying the natural gas transmission and storage business from Dominion Energy uh, for about 9.7, just under $10 billion. Uh, $4 billion of that is cash. The rest of it is, is Warren assuming debt. And uh, in, in conjunction with this, uh, with this headline, Dominion announced they were canceling their Atlantic Coast pipeline with Duke Energy. And that's your headline. So Dominion uh, selling its natural gas transmission and storage business to Warren Buffett for uh, $4 billion in cash and the assumption of... Uh, 5.7 billion in debt. So they get out of some debt and they sell that business there and they get some cash back. But then they also said sneaky devil in the details is that they're going to cut the dividend. Oh yeah. That was buried in there. Yeah. Yeah. Buried in there, buried in, in deep in the devils and the details. Dominion is a dividend play. Dominion is owned by a lot of, of value investors that are looking for yield. Cutting the dividend on the stock was unexpected, probably for shareholders. 
So I'm, um, you know, and, and what do they say? Do they give you the numbers on what they're going to cut it? It's not yeah. imminent, but they're going to cut uh, it. They said, let me get let me get the exact wording so I don't screw it up. Um, their increase, so they talked about, you know, increasing their long-term earnings growth rate guidance by 30%. Um, our rebased dividend policy better reflects our revised operating and financial strength. Um, that, that's a quote. I'm trying to find what they said specifically around the dividend. I, I don't have a, I don't in think any regard, even number. It was in there. They're going to oh, cut the dividend. Here we, here, we here we go. I found it. I found it. Okay. Um, the company now expects to target approximately 65% payout ratio to be effective upon completion of the transaction. Uh, the new ratio implies a 2021 dividend payment of around $2.50 per share. So there's your new dividend. $2.50. What was it? Uh, I'd have to go look that up. I'll look it up because it's- Oh, there important. we go. So they paid 94 cents per share in March and June. So you can just do the math there. It was it was a quarterly dividend of 94 cents. And now it's an annual dividend of $2.50. So 75 cents it looks like. Yep. Or am I am I doing that math right? What's what's, two, what's uh ninety four cents times four? That was their that was their. It's a significant cut. So on all that, you look at this and say, well, Warren's stripping the company. Well, not maybe stripping it, but he's taking on some some of the stuff that maybe wasn't the best. But they're obviously going to lose some revenue here. Or they wouldn't need to cut the dividend. So when when it's all said and done here, they're not comfortable with their with where they're at with the, with their current dividend. They're cutting it. So on all that, they bought the stock up to where, Joel? In the <laughs> 99 99.89. 99.89 is where it So somebody decided at 4 a.m. that because Warren Buffett is buying a piece of Dominion Energy, that this utility company that typically moves 50 cents to a dollar a day was worth 17 points more. That's a quick way to throw away 20% of your money because that is what they just did because the stock is trading down here now. When I saw the headline last night, I was like, oh, Warren's investing, it's gonna be good. Then I started reading about it, I was like, they're gonna cut the dividend, they're Slash losing. Them. I was like, I'm like, this stock's gonna go down on this. Apparently, they didn't care last night. They just decided to throw, you know, we're headline traders and oh, Warren Buffett investing's gotta be good for the stock. And it's not Warren Buffett investing, it's Warren Buffett buying something from them and leaving them um, and not as good of a position as potentially they were before, even though they get rid of some of the debt or they wouldn't have to slash the dividend. So it goes 99, 98, 97, 96, 95, 94, 93, 92, 91, 90, 89, 88, 87, 86, 85, 84, 83, 82, and now in the 81 handle, pretty much straight down since somebody decided it was worth $99 at 4 a.m. That's unbelievable gift. If you're up at 4 a.m. and selling it to whoever bought it up there, congratulations, that was a gift. Stock's not going up there anytime soon. I wouldn't be surprised if it continues to leak because dividend slash on a utility play is never good news. Write that down. I mean, yeah, dividend oh, slashes sure. on certain growth companies, you know, for, for different reasons can mean, or if companies are trying to save money, you know, in the case of Wells Fargo, because they're in trouble. But when the company's actually near, and Dominion was not that far off all-time highs, you know, $90. Not far Don't buy it up to a new all-time high on a dividend cut. Lesson learned. Wow, I cannot believe that traded there. Warren's going big into the energy, huh? Between uh, Occidental Petroleum and this, I think I read that uh, maybe he's going to have 18% of the natural gas market. I mean, 
natural gas hasn't seemed to be going anywhere. It's definitely cleaner fuel, but um, I don't know what would make, I mean, I'm looking at uh, D here, Dominion, and I'm just trying to think of like, what would be a catalyst for someone to want to buy the stock now after it was stripped down less dividend? Uh, it's not good. I don't think it's good. I cannot believe it traded up 18 points on it. Yeah, it doesn't move. 18. It, it gets taken over. It doesn't get taken over from the whole company gets bought by Warren Buffett. They don't get 99 bucks. I don't know what people are thinking. Maybe it's bots. Maybe it's machines, but those machines should be reprogrammed. That's unbelievable. I, I, I woke up at 5 a.m. and saw it at $88. and like, what person is buying this at $88? I should get up and sell it to them. But I was in my bed and I was like, whatever. You know, this market's dumb. I had no idea trading 99 at 4 a.m., 11 points higher. And obviously now it's 81. Yeah, I don't, it's, it just made a pre-market low at uh, 80, 90. Uh, so, I mean, if you got some shorts off and, you know, during the, uh, during the overnight session, what do you have? You have some, you got an exact double bottom at 79.29. That was from the 26 and 29. So that would be a level of, uh, you know, continuation of some support. But man, oh man, I think in this one, maybe if it just doesn't crater, then this kind of floats back up to 80, you know, a couple days, the dust settles, 84, 85, 86. I don't know. This may be uh, something you want to look at for a longer term short, but uh, no, no, selling in a whole 79, 20, 29. That's a double bottom from last Friday and last Monday. I mean, it was up 18 bucks and now oh, it's down. So now I yeah. just have to try to short it here, but exactly. I don't know. I, I think that's critical. I hold that 79, 29. So I know that some people saying, oh, maybe it'll bounce back here. I don't think so. I think this could continue to leak, but I, I, I'm flabbergasted if that's a word, but I, I just is. cannot believe that that trade up 17 bucks. It's a poster child for how this market is trading. It's trading on no logic whatsoever. Like logic, just give it 10 seconds of logic and say, they're slashing the dividend by a third. It can't be good. They got to slash the dividend on a dividend play. That's, that's good news. And you got to buy it up $17 on that. I mean, you, you got to think a little bit. I mean, logic applies here. So whoever is buying 98, 99, is not using any logic whatsoever. They're just like Warren Buffett buying, got to buy. That kind of, you know, you know, just random, like, you know, looking Warren Buffett equals buy. If that's written into an algorithm, I, don't, I have no idea who's buying that up at 98 or 99. That's nine, nine points above its all-time high. It was all-time high was 90. On a utility stock. On a utility stock. That's <laughs> cutting the dividend. I mean, you can't think logically. And obviously, it would have paid to think logically if you were waking up at 4 a.m. and shorting it to whoever the hell was buying it up there. But I don't know. Let's move on. What about uh, any sympathy with It's such a nonsense this, market. Yeah. It, okay, it's let's so, move on. It, it, the whole market is just completely disconnected from reality. And that's a dangerous market. That's why you can't be shorted. I mean, the, there was a time to be short this market. It was back in February before all the virus hit. And then it got it, it, it priced correctly, and then obviously it turned around. Everybody just decided that the virus doesn't matter, and the Fed's going to defend the market no matter what, and we're just going to buy it up. So I don't know when it becomes reconnected with reality. At some point it will, but maybe you know this virus is just going to go away, disappear with a vaccine, or all right. But if the market doesn't care, you can't keep shorting it, saying it's going to eventually care. So it's tough. I I, I thought. A week ago, when the cases started to really fly, I thought, okay, we're, we're here at 300. We've been hanging out. Okay, now we're going to start to leak. 
And no, it just goes the other way again and cases go up, but it doesn't matter. And the deaths aren't going up. Maybe it's looking That's insane. It. Yep. The deaths aren't really flying high here yet. So maybe we're dealing with it better. Maybe, you know, at the end of the result, it's not going to be much worse than the flu and we're going to be okay. And that's good news. So trade the market in front of you. But just remember that a lot of these stocks like Tesla, which we'll go to now, are, are crowded trades and they're hot potatoes. I mean, valuation, it's, it's very dangerous to be trading stocks when valuation doesn't matter. Valuation doesn't matter to Tesla at all. It means it can go anywhere. It could go to 2,000. It could go to back to 1,000. It could go to 500. It could go to 3,000. When you're completely disconnected from valuation, and I'm not saying reality on Tesla, I'm just saying valuation because it doesn't care that you know they're, they're the most valuable company in the, in the world now, auto company, and they sell 5% of the cars that Toyota does. So yes, it's going to grow, but we, I would think Toyota's going to go electric, Ford's going to go electric, GM, Chrysler. So, so they're all going to go electric eventually, but it doesn't matter. It's got the story. It's hot, squeezing some shorts. It's disconnected from valuation. Stock can so, go anywhere. So, so fill me in here because uh, I was out for a couple of days. So is, is the catalyst on Tesla their, their deliveries? Is there even a catalyst or is it, is, is it just doing it? It ran up ahead of the delivery numbers, okay. but okay. Tesla doesn't need a catalyst because it's Tesla. Right. It's just a storied stock that just runs on, on the, the electric cars. They're going to take over the world. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't have to make sense. I mean, Jason Rasnick comes on and obviously tries to, you know, fundamentally give it, you know, the reason saying it's not a car company, it's a technology company. And that's good. That's all you can do with it. But I'm just saying there's lots of companies out there that trade completely ignorant to valuation, which is fine. I mean, Shopify is ignorant to valuation as well. So I'm not saying you can't be in these stocks. I'm just saying that when valuation eventually starts to matter, that's when you got to be careful, right? Right now, valuation doesn't matter on Shopify, doesn't matter on Tesla, doesn't matter on Zoom. It's storied stocks that are being carried by their stories. Uh, but I traded in 1997 and 1998 and 1999 and 2000. And I watched valuation, the entire market become disconnected from valuation. I mean, for crying out loud, Walmart was trading with a PE of 50. So that was back in 1999. So that went on for years. So people were saying in 1997 and 1998 that this is just ridiculous. You know, you've got a company that's got 13 employees with a billion dollar valuation here because they got a website. That's what the market was then. We're kind of there. We're getting there on certain stocks where we were in 1999, but that went on for years. So, you know, at the end result, like I remember Excite at Home. Do you remember that one, Joel? Yeah. yeah. There was a search engine, Excite. And then they merged with at home, which was a way to bring home uh, cable internet. And it went from like five bucks to 205 bucks, and then eventually to zero. So eventually everybody got burned on that. And I'm not, I'm not saying Zoom's going to zero. I'm not saying Tesla's going to zero. I'm not saying Shopify's going to zero. I'm saying eventually valuation did matter, but you could have held on for, you know, said, well, this doesn't make any sense when it's the stock's at 20 and went to 200 on you. So you can't be short when valuation doesn't matter. You got to almost wait until the bubble bursts. And then, you know, you can maybe start to, you know, come in here and say, okay, now valuation is starting to matter. But right now on this overall market, even valuation doesn't matter because we know there's a lot of companies out here that are struggling to survive, yet their stocks are still okay. And some of them going higher. So it's very dangerous to be short a, a, a stock market that doesn't care about valuation. Uh, also, 
on Friday, I, well, Friday, the markets were closed. On Thursday, I think uh, Musk also did a, a tweet or a letter to employees that how his car saved his life or avoided an accident or something. So that made uh, the circles around Wall Street and then also some... Uh, I believe some decent delivery numbers, but uh, it got up to twelve ninety four thirty on the initial twelve ninety four and a half. Uh, that's your pre market high. I mean, a lot of these times when it has these big overnight moves, it it, it holds a majority of the moves, and it might you know might scare some people and go through thirteen hundred. But just past observations on the stock when it has these kind of moves. It's still going to be up a lot of the day, but I think if you want to do it, buy it for like a day trade, bind it up $74. I think you might get a little bit cheaper uh, entry point, $1,294.50 pre-market high. I mean, you got to look at Tesla just from a technical basis here because valuation doesn't matter. So stop thinking about fundamentals here. Just think about it technically. As soon as it broke out to new highs three days ago, you don't want to be short that stock. Write this down too for all the new traders out there. Don't short stocks making new all-time highs. It's a good way to just get murdered. And Tesla broke out three days ago from the 1027 and has not looked back since. It has been a straight-up ride for three days to the tune of 25% higher. On a stock that everybody thought was overvalued, it just went higher by 25% in three days. Don't short Someone stocks up their target highs. today too, right, Spencer? Was it, was it JP Morgan or who was well, it? They're all chasing price. Who even cares? Yeah. Like, what's well, right. all just noise. They're all just chasing price because nobody, everybody's trying to sit there and value value Tesla from a crunch the numbers and come up with a valuation. Give me a break. You can't do that. It's just they're trading on hot and story. It's a storied stock. So just like Shopify is a storied stock. I said Shopify is going to a thousand bucks and I didn't participate. I should have kept participating because I kept saying it the whole way up, but it's a story. It's got an awesome story right now. Can it eventually grow into this valuation? Maybe. But does it matter? You can't even look at these evaluations. The valuation doesn't matter when you're trading on any of these things. All that matters is that the story is still hot. And if the story is still hot, the stock can go a lot higher. And Tesla shorts are, are getting punished for that. Valuation does not matter when you've got a hot story. It will eventually matter. But as of right now, a lot of these things, it doesn't matter. All right, S&P's hanging out near the highs of the session. We're up uh, 40 and three-quarters handle at 69.75, just like three points off that pre-market high. So we're up, but sellers are a little bit tentative here at least uh, an hour before the open of the regular session. All right, what about Uber here, folks? Uh, we've been talking about Uber for the past couple of weeks. They've been hunting around, trying to find somebody to buy they found, they found someone finally. They're acquiring Postmates for $2.65 billion in an all-stock transaction. They're, they're, they're desperate because obviously there's not going to be as many people taking Ubers here with the COVID thing. So they're desperate. So delivering food, we, we know how, how hard they were fighting for the last deal. And they obviously didn't yeah. went out on it for Grubhub. So they're desperate. So, it, I mean, it's good. They need to get into the food. So it's good. Again, th this valuation makes no sense either. You know, you're in an environment where people are going to take all, I want to get in a stranger's car, it doesn't make sense. But you know I what? Know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter right now. Valuation doesn't matter. So 
the stock stopped going down a few days ago, consolidated. Now you break out on probably a good headline. I mean, I think it's good that they're trying to acquire. So I don't know if they overpaid or not. I'm not going to say, I don't know. Like it's impossible to say because it, it, it's a, it's a money losing business buying a money losing business. So I don't know. Yeah. Can, can I ask a question? Matter. Can I ask a question? If, if you don't want to get in an Uber, right? Because of the COVID thing, then do you want the guy that's or gal that's, Delivering your food, picking up your food, and delivering it to you. I don't, but some people don't care about that. Well, well, I mean, they're touching a what a shopping bag with your food. Okay. Hopefully, I... hopefully your food is secure. And, they, and they're trying and to say they're not touching your food. We, we hope that, and we they've hope. been saying the Little whole sample. time. <laughs> hopefully, I don't know. And they've been saying the whole time, though, Joel, um, that and and we've been saying for a while that it's it's unlikely to get COVID from touching something that somebody with right. COVID touched. Um, they, 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 I think the epidemiologists and the doctors, you know, we're not saying it's 100%. They stuff virus is new. We still don't know everything about it, but there's a lot better chance of getting COVID from obviously sitting in an Uber and the person coughs right. okay. sick and it's aer aerosolized and then you breathe it in as opposed to you touching something that somebody else touched or sneezed on and then you go and touching your mouth or touching your, you know, even if you touch your mouth, apparently, like the stomach acids they were saying, like if you touched, if you touched the COVID and then touched your tongue, from what I'm reading, the stomach acid, when you swallow, if you just, you know, like when you take it down, the stomach acid would kill it. It's more like getting in your like airways and then going from there. But nobody knows. I mean, that's the whole thing. That's why I've been extra cautious because it's a new novel virus. Nobody knows really what it's doing. I mean, three months ago, we thought it was a respiratory illness. Now we're finding out it's more of a clotting illness. So we don't even really know what it is. We're still trying to learn about it. But again, as it applies to the market, it doesn't apply at all right now because people are looking past it. The investors are looking past it. If deaths start to come up, maybe it's going to start to matter. But I thought if cases started to come higher, it would start to matter. And I've been proven wrong on that. And you have to be able to, as, a, as an investor, as a trader, you have to be able to change your opinion. I'm not saying I'm coming in here and buying you know, the rip here. But now I look and I'm like, okay, on dips, I guess I got to continue to buy because yeah, yeah. this market just wants to shrug everything off anyways. Uh, 834, that's, we'll bring our guest John on in one minute here. Um, and I just had something to say and, and it, it, escaped my, it escaped my brain. Sorry, call, call it the Monday morning flogginess, but I had something on my, on my mind. Dennis was talking and then it just escaped. That's what happens. I talk and then everybody. All right, what yeah, whatever I was about to say just left me. So, um, yeah. Joel, Joel, I feel like you had something to say. No, you didn't. Uh no, no. I was just, uh, I was just looking at um, Sean's coming on, and I just wanted, I was just grabbing his topics. Is he, uh, is he in the queue? You want to bring yeah, him we, on? We might as well bring him on now. Sean Emery, the founder and CIO of Avery and Company. Uh, I guess uh, Joel and I both forgot what we were going to say, so that's okay. I'll bring Sean on now. Uh, let's see if we can unmute him here. Sean, good morning. There it is. Unmuted. How you doing? Good morning, guys. Doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Long weekend. So yeah, hope you're able to get outside, but stay away from the crowds. I know that's sort of a contradiction, but definitely. Yeah. It's been a different, different time period for sure. So Sean, uh, I, I was out driving uh, this weekend. I, I went on a mini uh, road trip and I was on uh, a toll road and I saw, you know, in Ohio and signs all over the place saying due to COVID, uh, we would strongly prefer you not pay your tolls in cash. We would really uh, prefer 
if you paid your tolls in credit cards. Uh, and it got me thinking about the, the uh, something that we've talked about in the past, the shift away from cash on how, and how that could benefit companies that you like, and like Square, for example, um, and how this could accelerate the shift away from cash into more of a cashless society. Uh, talk about that. Have you been observing this as well? And I, I would imagine as a Square bull, you would, you would encourage that. Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, we are seeing that shift. And just think about the direction of society. It, it, it's quicker. It's um, cleaner for companies to manage their own um, finances, right? Because now you have oversight of uh, where money's going, who, who it's going to, the speed of it. Um, so there's a lot of characteristics there that are important to the businesses. But more importantly, as it relates to some of the players that are facilitating it, uh, it's monetizable when it goes to um, electronic. So when, when you walk down the street or you're driving down the street, just like you said, and uh, now you're processing those payments uh, electronically, um, again, they're, they're monetizable. Um, and Square put out some numbers recently about some of their uh, companies and broke those down into industries and categories. And just the uplift from companies going from mostly cash to now mostly electronic. Um, now, if you think deep down about those companies that again, that were, that were only processing their payments through ca cash transactions, and these are square sellers, um, are going from 5% uh, non-cash to about 75% non-cash. Um, you could actually lose, I mean, in theory, when you start to balance out that, those market weights for them individually, if they do lose 30% of their, their sellers, given the environment, but their sellers go from 20% uh, non-cash payments to 75%, you can make it up in that, um, with that uplift as well. So you are seeing this massive shift take place uh, and I think it's here to stay. So um, it's important for everybody. Sean, if I wanted to like trade or participate in the, the shift away from cash, uh, how, so Square is one way, but how else could I do that? Yeah, the, I mean, the two most dominant networks are, are in a sense, PayPal and, and Square. Um, you can go underneath one layer deep, which is Visa and MasterCard, obviously, um, which are touching more and more of not only um, uh, what you see with Square and, and PayPal, where you have Venmo and Cash App and, and some of the more consumer-oriented or con consumer-facing products, but at the infrastructure layers, Visa and, and, and MasterCard, that, that really gets you exposure to everything digital, um, and the, the moat that they've built over the years, I mean, you see it in their margins. It's incredible. The margin profile that they've built out and seemingly have no, um, uh, uh, competitors, uh, as everyone else is building on top of them. So Apple Pay's tried, uh, PayPal tried to create their own internal network. Um, and they, they ended up having to partner, uh, with all the vendors on the side. Um, so those are the two dominant ones because they have built out the more dominant network effects. Um, there's, there's companies on the side, on, on the fringes that uh, are participating and you're seeing more and more companies participate in financial services to begin with. We saw Uber try to launch their pay, Uber pay product and then take it back. Cause again, it's hard to build those networks out. Um, and we saw this morning, they have to focus on, on their core business instead of trying to reach out into different pockets. So. Uh, those would be the two dominant ones that I'd say, and then the, the other two on the infrastructure side. Wait, we're well, on the line with Sean real Emery. Quick, real quick, Joe, can I interrupt real fast? I just want to follow up with <laughs> a question from the chat. Yeah. Uh, would you play, would you just use the ETF? Would you buy the iPay 
IPAY uh, uh, ETF just to play it I don't, I don't know the exact makeup of IPAY. We, we don't really touch that. We, we prefer to know exactly what we're owning while we're owning it. Um, that's just our style mantra. But, the, but at the same time, I'm assuming those are probably for the dominant positions in that, in that category. Obviously, over the last year, Square is making um, some more noise relative to those. Those are kind of the, the blue chips. And I think at some point, we'll be looking at Square as a blue chip. So Now we're on the line with Sean Avery, founder and CIO of Avery & Company. Sean, thanks for joining us after the holiday weekend. Uh, you got an interesting stock on your radar here. And uh, uh, coming out of the uh, COVID-19 crisis, um, let's talk about Planet Fitness here. Wow. And uh, that's something on your radar. And uh, you're, if you're looking at it, you're looking at it on the cheap here. Uh, yeah, it's come back a little bit. Talk to us about it, how long you've been looking at it, fundamentally, technically, and what are you hearing from the company? Yeah, it's been quite a bit of time that we've been looking at it. So Planet Fitness fits in that category right now of the things you kind of don't want to touch, right? Brick and mortar um, from a hygiene standpoint doesn't make a lot of sense from just a, uh, if you're separating the winners and losers of uh, COVID-19. And, but Planet Fitness, when you look at it, it's a very asset light model. Um, they franchise pretty much 95% of their, uh, their locations. Uh, and these franchisees aren't your one unit, two unit franchisees. These are pretty large franchisees. I think they have 133 uh, franchisees covering those 2000 locations that they have spread out. Um, I mean, their really dominant position is that it's, it's the low cost provider. And as we've seen in cases like Walmart and some others, Amazon have a <clears throat> essentially created their business was come in with scale, be, be the low cost provider, provide some sort of network effects um, in the middle of that. Uh, and you're, you're seeing that take place with Planet Fitness uh, today. Um, those franchisees, a lot of them are, are private equity groups. So you have very sophisticated management teams that also have dry powder in an environment like this should one or two of their locations um, not necessarily survive. Uh, and then speaking of kind of survival in this environment, one of our areas of focus is looking for categories where there was a structural trend already taking place. And obviously with COVID-19, um, you were somewhat unlucky to be a, a fitness center. Um, but this is a highly profitable business and a lot of their competitors, specifically more upmarket, your 20, 30, 40, $50 a club, um, a lot of those chains now have filed or are filing for bankruptcy. So you have a competitive environment for them that is um, subsiding the 24 hour fitness right by me is no longer there. Um, so you have a lot of open space for them to continue to scale out their, uh, their units. They have about a thousand units in the pipeline today that are already committed to. Um, so that takes you to 3000. Um, the unit economics for a, for a, uh, franchisee are really, really attractive, which is why you see very sophisticated teams come in here and try to wrap up 10, 12, 15, units at one time. Um, so it's a really interesting environment for them when, when we get to the other side of this, uh, that they become uh, much stronger just given that they have the, this network effect taking place. Uh, and again, we're in, we're in communication with them constantly trying to determine what are the different characteristics taking place. Um, and that, at a high level, I think the, our overall thesis um, on Planet Fitness, there's way more there and it's, it's actually much more interesting, specifically how they've, during this environment, embraced technology. Uh, and I don't think that was even uh, 
uh, a 12 month, 18 month um, strategy for them, but it, it accelerated pretty drastically here. And I think that's going to potentially lead to pricing power uh, for them in the future and net churn. Hey, Sean. I, I just got a question. Um, just on Planet Fitness and so yeah. many other stocks. I mean, you're a fundamental guy and you're sitting there and obviously, you know, crunching numbers and looking at, you know, the overall story and looking at the technologies and looking at these companies from, from a fundamental perspective. How do you on a stock like Planet Fitness, though, separate it? Like if you're looking at it today and you can say, OK, you know, we're going to get past this virus. But how do you like value the issue of COVID when it relates to Planet Fitness and how do you look at all, even, even when you look at Square, I mean, there's a lot of retailers that are closed or, you know, not doing as much business. H how do you like find a way to fundamentally crunch the numbers with COVID out there? Yeah. I mean, to be completely frank, we're, not, we, we're never looking a quarter out or even two quarters out. Um, so if this is truly a three quarter event, um, that's not even in our numbers, right? So it's, you're looking past the virus. Yeah, we're looking at how many units can Planet Fitness, for example, get into the U.S. and then beyond that. They're scaling out internationally as well. Is that four thousand boxes, like they say, or is it really five thousand? Is thirty five hundred? We already know the unit, the economics of each box. So it's it's fairly simple math once you get there, and then and then you're you're trying to adjust for pricing power. Are they going to add a a third membership tier? Um, is it higher? Is it going to be lower? If they do. Uh, succeed on this technology front and they're offering these free classes with iFit um, and then they potentially monetize those. What could that do to pricing power? They have the black card versus white card um, and 65% of their, their users are using the black card, which is the higher tiered fee or, or uh, higher membership. Can they move that into 80%, 90% as they continue to add more services? So that's kind of how we're, we're breaking it out. And then we're asking ourselves, what do we, what would we pay for one box? And now they have 3000 and that's going to give you kind of the value that you think this company is worth. Um, and that's, that's how you would look at like a planet fitness square, for example, has always been long-term, right? I mean, this has been a story in which uh, we didn't think cash app would be uh, as accelerated to where it was today. And the more interesting part about kind of square in this environment, even companies in general that are, you could say benefiting here, you got to ask yourself, are they benefiting because of things they did or are they just benefiting because COVID? Um, outside, right, we know their, their seller business, but the cash app business is on fire. I think they've added almost uh, 15 million, 16 million users over the last three, four months um, that have gone on the platform. And, and much of that is to their own credit where um, they were offering direct deposits for your stimulus check into your cash app. Um, so they, they had a huge influx uh, two months ago of new users. Um, and then stock trading. So we've seen what happened with Robinhood and the amount of interest and demand that they've seen. Uh, you're seeing that same traction in, in Cash App, uh, given that they, they happened to launch stock trading just before this. Um, so again, you're seeing this progression and also the management team's ability to execute given this environment. Um, and that's super important to us. Um, so again, it's, it's much more structural long-term um, and thinking about how how much share can they, can they get in their seller business? How, how much share can they take in uh, that cash app business? And then you're asking yourself, are these two ecosystems at some point going to interconnect in a much more meaningful way? Or is this going to be the eBay, PayPal separation where there's some synergies there, but maybe there's not that much synergy there long-term and actually separated. These are two much more valuable businesses. Uh, again, like we saw eBay, PayPal. Um, and, and yeah, that's, so that's how we, we, we look at these. And the quarter to quarters is, is, is um, 
just credibility towards the thesis more so than uh, we don't care if they beat or miss on a specific report. I, honestly, it's fairly meaningless. It's more directionally where are we headed here? Uh, Sean, going back to fitness for just a second here, what did you think of the Lululemon mirror acquisition? Yeah, yeah, no, I um, it's interesting. We, we, this is the first time we would ever see potentially an apparel retailer succeed if they did succeed here. Oh, right. um, I did go out and look at all the different competitors and I think they bought the more streamlined product that's out there. We start to look at all the other offerings. They have like weight sets inside of them and, yeah. uh, and a little less, um, I guess, flexible, right? So this is just a flat screen, basically a TV on a wall um, and interesting offering. Obviously the timing of it uh, for mirror, it couldn't have been any better. Um, and it'll, it, it's, it's going to be hard to see because Lulu is not a technology company. They are not a, um, this isn't their space. I don't, we'll see what they do in terms of management, who's leading what, yeah. um, who's going to be uh, directing initiatives. Um, it's interesting. I think at some point for like a Lululemon single brand, um, talks to fitness, talks to kind of yoga. Um, and I think it's important directionally for them. Uh, if they can execute on it, obviously it would be huge. Um, I don't know where, again, that synergy comes and, and truly takes form. Um, but it, it's an interesting idea. I, I, I can also see that product being ripped off by almost any party out there um, and provided to the market for much cheaper. Um, Apple, everyone's talked about the Apple TV. I, they wouldn't do it, but uh, they could do it. Uh, and I think the fact that they could do it and don't do it probably tells us everything we need to think about how they how they view that product that's always the elephant in the room well could uh apple amazon microsoft facebook they could do it they might not but they could and that'd be better right um here's one that uh is we've talked about as being a covid play it's on your radar as well fiverr uh it would make sense obviously that a a business that uh matches freelancers with uh, people seeking freelancers would be good in a time of high unemployment but why is this on your radar yeah, no, Fiverr's been something we've been uh, following for quite some time. We didn't actually, um, early on in the story, so th they have very much the feel of, <clears throat> of Wix um, in terms of their management team, who's on the board. I mean, there, there's ex-Wix all over the place. They're, they're in Israel, um, just like Wix. Um, they speak the same language in terms of TROI, which is the way they, they talk about how their investments spend. So at, at the initial onset, it, it just screamed Wix. Uh, in terms of how they were running this this company, um, and years ago, we, we've even talked on this show, like many years ago now, um, uh, about Wix um, and Fiverr, for example. When you think of just their value add to um, to the freelance community, um, one is the freelance community is growing. We did a lot of work around what percent of the working population could move to uh, more freelance work. Um, and this isn't like your traditional freelancer, right? It's somebody that has a skill set that's just simply offering that and right? We're, we're really just decomposing a job function. And that's what ultimately freelancing is. Um, and it's whether you can do that in mass scale. Um, so you, you start to look out at the marketplace and you say, okay, here's Fiverr, here's Upwork, here's freelance.com, here's some of the other players. Um, and what free, uh, Fiverr did was instead of charging per hour per unit, they really tried to uh, productize um, the actual job, right? So you're going to buy a recording for $25, right? So it, it's more of uh, a true e-commerce feel of shopping as opposed to trying to bid 
um, and communicate and, and, and try to negotiate uh, the offering. So Fiverr decided let's make it as easy as possible. And ultimately what they're doing is removing friction between the buyer and seller uh, within freelancing. And, and I think that, is, that goes a little bit under um, noted uh, over the last several years as they've done that and continued to take share. Um, they're doing a lot of things internally, like they're adding, they're, they're doing an ad product now, uh, similar to what Etsy did about a year and a half ago, uh, or started a year and a half ago and has launched here in the last like six months. Um, they've also uh, have Fiverr Studios, which is a combination of freelancers on the site getting together to offer one project. Um, so that's really, really interesting. Fiverr Learn, uh, Anco, which is like an off-site off uh, product. The most important thing for us with Fiverr, though, is when we started to, to um, look at what they were doing, we've always asked ourselves, freelancing offline is also a big thing. And uh, about, a, I'd say, three months ago, we noticed, because we're always on the site trying to see if there's anything new out there, obviously, that, outside of things they're telling us. And they had a little beta section that said um, uh, photography in New York City, I think it was. Um, for offline freelancing, right? So someone can do, uh, do your mock-ups on, on site digitally, um, but they're also trying to take that offline. And I think that obviously doubles that, that, that market size potential uh, if they can successfully navigate uh, offline and online um, freelancing. And I think that would obviously remove churn of any of their freelancers. So they have two and a half million users on that platform. It is truly a two-sided marketplace. Um, and in this environment in COVID, for example, what excites us is their category expansion is incredible. I mean, if people are doing more podcasts, they just add a little tab of podcasts and then all the, the freelancers uh, go straight to that tab. So they're able to flex their categories left and right, um, but at the same time, um, uh, go deep into one. So they, they run their team in, in, in category specific uh, units in terms of product managers and such. Um, so it, it's an excellent team. Um, their market expansion is kind of as deep and wide as they want to go. Uh, and that's what we like about it. Instead of being a uh, vertical focus kind of product platform, it is truly horizontal. So uh, one more, Sean, this is from our chat, going back to the payments discussion. Uh, this is a stock or a company I don't know a lot about, but uh, we were asked to ask you about Shift4 Payments, ticker is F-O-U-R. Uh, do you know anything about them? Are they on your radar? They're not on our radar. I mean, we've heard of them, obviously. Um, they don't compete directly with any of kind of the, the, the companies that we're invested in. Um, and I mean, compete in any sort of scale. There's a lot of competitors, um, but there's very few that actually can compete with a seller base of 2 million and, um, and such, so. All right, uh, Sean Emery has been on with us. He is the founder and CIO of Avery and Company. That's A-V-O-R-Y. You can find more, uh, learn more about them by going to avery.xyz. Sean, thank you so much for the time today and uh, stay safe down there. I know it's getting a little bit hairy down where you are. Yeah, definitely it is. I'm keeping up with the stats and I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, us neither. So stay safe down in Florida. Cool. All right, guys. All right. Thanks, Appreciate Sean. It. All right, uh, 8.54 here, about five minutes left in today's show. Uh, guys, what else are you seeing out there? Just more of the same? Uh, let's give you an imbalance look. Uh, a lot of buy imbalances, obviously expected. You're seeing a little bit of separation in certain stocks. Like I said, the utility stocks, some of these are really getting smacked around here now. Dominion's down 2%. Duke Energy, was there a headline on Duke? I never even noticed. Uh, it's down two and a half bucks here now. So uh, yeah, I'm just uh, looking at my scanner. 
they they had the the cancellation of the of the deal with Dominion, the the pipeline deal. Oh the, yeah, the Atlantic yep. pipeline deal. Oh, was, they're tied in point. with that. Yeah, that was a joint Duke Dominion uh, right. that is now. So that's hitting Duke too. So that's your catalyst for Duke because I'm looking, you know, at what's trading red, and there's just not a lot of stocks trading red here this morning. But Duke and Dominion stand out as two. Uh, if we're looking at balances, banks are strong. TLT is weak, so not surprising. Banks are going to lead lead the charge to a certain extent. Most of them are up two to three percent. Bank of America two hundred seventy nine thousand to buy. Uh, Citigroup fifty nine thousand to buy. Is a few. Um, and in the drug sector, Pfizer is 457,000 to buy. It's a big buy and balance for Pfizer. Again, the dip was bought the last couple of days and it did dip back down after it had that good uh, trial there with the COVID and obviously it has been bought back here again this morning. So I still like Pfizer on pullback, still long at overall too. Um, GE 399,000 to buy Berkshire Hathaway. We didn't talk about the implications here, but maybe what is, you know, not that great for Dominion is good for Warren Buffett. Berks up 2.3%. There's somebody that's saying 136,000 to buy as well. So that's a big buy and balance for Berkshire Hathaway. BRK.B getting some love. Um, overall, obviously very strong cross board. I was just looking at my, my up filter here in Benzinga Pro and, it's a lot of Chinese stocks. Uh, oh, the biggest ones. You mean up to who's up the most? Yep. Just littered. Uh, li list them off. Uh, NIO is a NIO. Futu Holdings, which I believe is a broker, F U T U, uh, is, is up big. Yeah. Uh, so I see. I see LFC. There's always new ones. LFC, China Life Insurance. Uh, yeah. What else do I see? Uh, CHU, China Unicorn. Don't know these companies. Sino, we know. They're up 10%. Uh, I see HNP. I mean, you just pull, close your eyes and point your finger at uh, anything China. This anything. is a China rally. There's no yeah. doubt. FXI is up seven and a half percent still. So just an incredible move. Emerging markets, EEM doesn't have all China, so it's not going to be tracking it as well, but still 3.63% here this morning on those two widely traded ETFs. This is the market. This is the market catalyst for today. And there's always find a reason to buy. I mean, you know, even another story like from Thursday night was Regeneron and Sanofi and quietly snuck out on the Thursday night was that Regeneron and Sanofi. If I'm looking here, I they believe had, it was Thursday night. They had a phase three trial uh, of their COVID-19 joint venture that did not yeah. meet its primary and key secondary endpoint. And the stock got the beats. Thursday night, Regeneron traded down into, it traded down uh, over 20 points. It was down at down in the low 600s. Is there another headline here this morning? Because they've completely reversed that now and both stocks are trading substantially higher. So buy the dip wins once again here. Um, yeah, so Thursday night, they say up. trial did not meet primary endpoint, but then this morning, there's some positive stuff that's been said. Well, they started another trial. They started a phase three trial. Uh, yeah, this is a different drug in collaboration with National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. So they got multiple drugs trying, everybody's trying to figure out how to, how to beat COVID. And you know, they're trying to figure out the vaccines, they're trying to figure out therapies. So they have multiple drugs working. One did not work. And stock got hit on it, probably rightfully so. But then you know, we're starting another trial on another one. And so they completely shrug off the one that didn't work, this market, poster child again for why this market just finds a reason to buy. And 
jumping in here and they're buying Regeneron up 3.6% now. So just quietly, the after hours and pre-market range from Thursday night to this morning, how low did we get on REGN on Thursday night when they had the bad news, Joel? Uh, on a grand total of 736 shares. Very light, but it was offered down there. Yeah, it went down to 601. 601, down 21 bucks. Yeah. And Sanofi yeah. was getting smacked around too. SNY was getting smacked down. I think it went under $50. Let me take a look at They've that completely one. reversed and both stocks are trading higher. So you'll never see it on your charts because it's happened after hours. But again, this market finds a reason to buy the dip. And they have done that this morning. I think something in Regeneron, I don't know how many people you have, you know, still trying to short the thing, but uh, after hours on a Thursday, you see it down that much. You don't care what the hell the headline is, man. You're, you're lifting offers, but uh, now. Well, you could have, I'll, I'll tell you, really? you wow. could have lifted that offer. It was offered at 606 almost all night. So there wasn't really? a lot of people lifting offers. Yeah, wow. it was offered down. It was, it, it failed trial. I mean, it was a failed trial for a COVID drug. So it wasn't good news. I wasn't lifting that offer, going to buy down $14 when one of their drugs just you know, didn't get through the phase or, or phase three. So they started another trial though. Okay, well, forget about that. We got another one on the go. <laughs> we got another Here, one in the, the pipelines. Yeah. Buy the dip, blindly buying the dip, Portnoy style works. He figured, <laughs> Dave Portnoy figured it out after two weeks, three weeks. <laughs> Thought, hey, the Fed's going to back you up and, you know, this just buy the dip thing works. We've been talking about it on the show for five years, just finding good companies and buying don't the dip. They don't even have to be works. good companies. Well, they do, though. And this is good. where we're going to start to see some punishment here because um, there is starting to be obvious separation. I mean, if Hertz, you know, it's a dollar fifty now. So they've got to be, if you're just coming and randomly buying anything, it works to a certain extent for a while sometimes. But eventually companies that are going bankrupt go down so i i can't just say come in here and buy anything that it works i've always been like the companies that you know are story company, stocks yeah. companies that are leaders buying the dips on those work i've never liked buying stocks that are in downtrends on dips i always like buying stocks that are in uptrends and dips and if you look and you know maybe we should talk about this people are saying this is the everything rally it starts ripping look at the airline stocks Look at, and we talked about this on Thursday. Look at the move, the last five-day move in the S&P. We went from 300 to 317. Look what AAL has done in the last five days. Absolutely nothing. Zero participation. If not, it's actually a little bit red. Delta, gone nowhere in five days. Norwegian airline, or Norwegian cruise lines has gone nowhere for five days. Yes, it's up here a bit this morning, but it's not a rip, roar, and rally like, oh, let's go buy the cruise lines. What's leading us here again Yes, there's a few stocks, you know, that are reopening China. plays, but China is leading us, but not, but again, it's tech. I mean, you got Apple trading up five bucks here this morning. Microsoft, new all-time highs every day. It's up another three bucks. These are the stocks that are leading the charge. It's not Boeing. It's not American Airlines. It's not all those plays. And maybe eventually those start to catch a, a bid too, just because the market's lifting everything. But I mean, look at Wells Fargo for the last five days. It's holding. It's holding at 25. And if you want to try to buy the, you know, if you want to come in here, I'm not going to argue with you. I just say, if it starts making a new low on this move, I'd get out. So if I was buying Wells Fargo this morning, I wouldn't want to own it below 24.93, but we don't have mass participation in this rally. Like we did back in May when everything was just getting bit up. 
we've got separation here now and the indexes are going up every day because it's tech leading the charge some of you know the the anti-covid call them stay-at-home plays leading the charge i mean again your gaming stocks you know they had a little bit of a, a reversal a little bit on thursday but for the most part most of them are making new highs too it's been separation and there's just you know the rotation within the stocks themselves but the reopening, some of these classic reopening plays, like you'd think the cruise lines and the airlines, even Boeing, throwing it in there, obviously is a pure reopening play, aren't participating. So you're buying these stocks, you're buying laggards, and these are the laggards. And sometimes when you're buying laggards, eventually if this market starts to turn down, it will be these stocks that lead the charge on the downside. As much as tech leads the charge on the upside, I believe if we eventually start to roll over on the indices, it's going to be these stocks as the reason. I'm not saying we're going to do that. Nobody has a crystal ball. This market's disconnected from reality. But these are the kind of stocks that the market isn't really caring for right now. And that is somewhat of a concern. All right. Uh, pull up a list here. This is just about every stock. Most of the stocks we talked about on this show today. Uh, this is on the Benzinga Pro watch list for a uh, free two-week trial and subsequent discount to Benzinga Pro. Uh, find the link in the description of this video on YouTube. You can always catch a replay of this show uh, on YouTube or on our podcast. It's on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Tune in pretty much every major podcast platform while you're on YouTube. Please don't forget to like us and like the video. Subscribe to our channel. That helps us a lot with that mysterious YouTube algorithm that runs our lives. You can always email us, premarket at benzinga.com. You can also call us if you'd like and leave us a voicemail. We can ask your question uh, on the show that way. 734-494-0246. Uh, thanks to our guest, Sean Emery. Thanks to all of you in our chat. Please remember all the information. Before we go, I want to just address something. Uh, Spinner just saying big change for me from where we were last Monday. I just want to reiterate this point is that I was wrong last Monday. You as a trader, this is why. This is why, I'm gonna go on a three minute tangent here, but I think it's an important point. Go for it. This is why I have been in business for 21 years. It's because I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong. I was wrong last Monday. I said I would not be buying the dip because I thought the cases mattered. I was absolutely wrong. I'm willing to admit I'm wrong. And Spinner, thank you for you know, pointing out. Spinner's quick to point out when people are wrong. He likes doing that. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because you, you have to be able to admit you're wrong. You will not survive in the trade. If you're new to trading in the last six months or in the last two months, and you're not willing to change your opinion when you're wrong, you will lose in this business. You will not survive in this business. Trading is all about discipline and being able to change your opinion when you are wrong. I am a trader. Yes, I'm a long-term investor. My long-term investing thesis hasn't changed. I'm underinvested because I don't understand it. But that's fine. My trading thesis is I go with what's working. I thought last Monday that it's starting to get ugly. The cases are starting to go up. This market is starting to care about COVID again. I gave a whole thesis on why the market is starting to care again. And it got proven wrong quickly, quickly proven wrong. They don't care. So I'm going back to buying the dips and selling the rips. I've been doing that not, I didn't start doing that. I, I talked about this like Wednesday or Thursday. I didn't just all of a sudden enlighten, you know, and say, I'm, I admit I'm wrong today. I admit I was wrong back Tuesday, Wednesday, when they bought it right back up if you rewind the show. I was saying I'd buy dips now because I've been proven wrong quickly. 
you have to be able to admit when you're wrong and potentially go the other way. Because if you don't, you're going to die in this business. You've got to be able, as a trader, if you have a thesis and it doesn't play out fairly quickly, you're wrong. Move on to the other side. Otherwise, you're going to see an erosion of your capital. So perf I, I totally was wrong last Monday. I said when we were down significantly over the, I think it was, was it Monday that we were down? I'm, just, I'm losing track of days. but I, think uh, I tried to think. I think Wait. it was Monday. We, or maybe it was Friday of the of previous week, but Monday. Oh, we no, were down yeah. and we were, they were talking about the cases and the media. You know, it was Monday because we had a down yeah. Friday and, and it looked like we were going to pierce last week slow. And we did actually in the pre-market. It was last week. It Monday, looked yeah. ugly, but they came in and they bought it again. So I'm back to buying the dip and selling the rip. I'm not buying the rip here this morning. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying to come in here and buy when we just rallied 160 S&P handles in four days. I'm buying dips. So now I'm looking at, you know, and that's why I bought Spotify. We talked about Spotify. It's dipping here this morning. got downgrade from Bernstein. But it's a stock that I think could go to $300. So I started putting on risk again in my trading account, not in my long-term investing account. My long-term investing account is still very conservative here right now because I don't know what's happening. I can stomach, though, underperforming long-term investing account. I cannot stomach underperforming in my trading account. So I'm going to go with what's working. What's working here, again, is buying the dip on good companies. And you've gotta be able to change your opinion on a dime when you're a trader and realize that, hey, when you're on the wrong side of the trade, the market will tell you, you know, people, how do I know if I'm on the wrong side of the trade? The market will tell you, you start losing You're money. red. If you are short, and I was short on Monday, if you were short and you weren't covering when it started ripping, you know, on basically nothing, then, you know, you're on the wrong side and now you're hurting. And now you don't want a stock like Tesla, you're getting your head ripped off. Don't short breakouts in this market right now. Obviously, on, on stocks that are making new all-time highs, they're working. The breakout trade on stocks making new all-time highs is working again. So look through, but you've got to be able to change your opinion um, as a trader. As a long-term investor, I, I don't know. I mean, long-term investing is a difficult animal. I try to buy good companies at reasonable valuations, and it seems to work for me over the long run. But you know, as a trader, you've got to be able to go with the swings right now, buying dips, selling rips, I'm back to. All right. And on that note, please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Joel and I will be on at 3.40. Jonathan Corpina from Meridian Equity Partners will join us on tomorrow's show. In the meantime, everyone have a great rest of your Monday and wherever you are, stay safe and good luck out there. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.